It's Monday, June 15th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Motley Fool Deep Value, Ron Gross. Hey, hey. Happy Monday. Happy Monday. Good How are weekend? You? Um, good weekend. Warm here, boy. You were you out in the, was, the land of. I was going to say, you know what the weather like it was like in Seattle? <laughs> well, it was amazing. And it's probably the only week this year it was going to be amazing. But yeah, it we had brutal over here. Yeah, we were at the. Uh, some of us were at the Motley Fool One event in Seattle. I'll talk a little bit about that later on. But let's start with the big news of the day. CVS Health is buying the pharmacy and clinic businesses from Target for one point nine billion dollars. Mm. More than sixteen hundred locations across the country. Now, when you go into Target to get your prescription filled. It's going to be a store within a store. It's going to be rebranded CVS Health. Plus the clinics. There's about 80 clinics, and there will be more. It will be relabeled um, the Minute Clinic. The Minute Clinic. This seems like a is this a win-win? I think it, it is, it actually. It seems like have, a win-win. I would love to say something bad, but I couldn't find anything. I like this deal. It makes sense. Target, for quite some time now, has had to refocus its business. They got out of the Canada debacle you know, $5 billion later, and they're re- kind of was refocusing. That what it, was it, well, that was like the write-off, yeah. I didn't if, think the write-off was that big. If memory serves, I think wow. it, it was pretty bad. Um, and and they really need to to focus. And you know, Brian Cornell, I think, is doing a nice job. And you know, let's face it, they're not in the pharmacy business. Pharmacy is a great way to bring people into your store. I certainly wouldn't be happy if I saw the pharmacies leaving Target. But the fact that now CVS can expand their reach, they have seventy eight hundred stores. This will bring in another sixteen sixty about. Um, that's nice. The Minute Clinic expansion will be nice. Every new Target that's opened in the future will have a CVS branded pharmacy. They know how to do the pharmacy business. Obviously, makes sense for them. One point nine billion actually seems reasonable to me on both sides. Not too expensive, not too cheap. I think this makes great sense. I think if you're a Target shareholder, you gotta like. First of all, you gotta like Brian Cornell's first year, which yeah. we're coming up on the one-year anniversary of him becoming CEO. But I think the the way, and you you alluded to this, the way he framed this in the statement, basically saying, look, this is not core to our business. And I thought he did a good job of balancing um, any concerns people might have that that he and his management team are looking to just wholesale sell off parts of the business, but also saying, you know what? Every part of our business is under review, right? As it and, should be, and I think this will drive traffic. Uh, quite frankly, I never in- think about going into Target because of their pharmacy, but I, I do shop at CVS and I do use CVS pharmacies. So this probably will drive traffic and will be actually incrementally add to their business. So that that makes good sense. They're going to probably take most of the proceeds after tax, buy back stock with it. Love to see that. Everything's good. And Larry. Uh Merlot. Merlot at CVS. He's been CEO for about four years, and holy cow! The, the I don't want to use the word transformation, but but it's whatever is one level below transformation. Right. Well, you know, let's not forget. Recently, they bought Omnicare for a twelve billion dollar deal. The nursing home pharmacy operator. They're really expanding their business. They're going deeper, deeper into the pharmaceutical pharmacy business, not pharmaceutical pharmacy business, and and he's doing a fine job. You know who we're not going to hear from today? We're not going to hear from the Wall Street analysts who, uh, in February of 2014, 
when CVS announced that they were cutting the sale of cigarettes and tobacco products, mm. and you had the analysts on Wall Street saying, this is a bad move, this is going to hurt them. We're not going to hear from any of those no, people no. today. No, no, no. no. Uh, let's talk about LeapFrog, because oh. on the radio show last week, our mid-year review, which yeah. we taped in advance, we taped it earlier in the week. Normally, we tape on Fridays, right. we taped it on Wednesday. You mean that's not live, that show? <laughs> it's not live. Ouch. It's not live. Um, we one of the things we talked about was who needs a hit in the second half of 2015, and whether it was a company or a stock. And the company you called out was Leapfrog. Right. And in the intervening days, <laughs> the stock fell another twenty five. Twenty five percent. What is so? What happened? They actually released earnings, which had been delayed. All right. <laughs> <laughs> well, right, well earnings, I shouldn't say earnings. Earnings in air quotes. They released lack of earnings and. We we joke and we we have fun here, but it's it's not that funny for shareholders. And this is a stock that that we have recommended in this building before. So I don't mean to make light of the fact that people are likely significantly down on the position. Um, so having said that, let's go at them. Um, they earnings had been delayed because they needed to take a look at their asset base because it was likely they needed to do some writing down. Their long live assets were just not probably not as valuable as they were. Um, being accounted for on the books, and it turns out that after some review, they did decide, hey, you know, these assets are not worth what we thought they were worth, and we have to take a huge write down. In addition to that, you saw just incredibly weak sales for the year. This was their fiscal fourth quarter, so for the year, sales were down 36 percent. Um, even after, if you exclude all the the charges and the write downs, they lost a dollar eight per share. Um, company is not making money. Their guidance was that this is going to take until the holiday season of 2017 to f- to start to see things firm up. When you see that, and you see a management team really buying time, whether it's whether they're being you know whether they mean it or not, that's an awful long time to wait for something that may or may not materialize. Um, and in the meantime, they're going to burn cash. Guidance very weak for next fiscal year. The one bright side is that they have 127 million dollars of cash. That's versus only a hundred and two million dollar market cap. So right now the stock is trading for a discount to the cash on the balance sheet. The big problem with that, you say, oh, value investment, deep value investment. The problem is, is that they're burning cash so fast um, to the tune of about a hundred million dollars in this last year that that hundred and twenty-seven million dollars will go away relatively quickly. And unless they really turn things more quickly than they even say they will, the cash will dwindle, the the stock will be trading at a premium to cash very soon, and you can no longer scream, ooh, value, value, value. Other than the cash on the balance sheet, is there an asset that this company has that would make either an activist investor with deep pockets or another company look at them and say, well, hey, we'll get some cash and we'll also get this other stuff? You you would think so because consistently their products, educational products aimed at children, um, video games for children, educational video games for children are reviewed very well, critically acclaimed. Um, they're really focused on education. It's not a gimmick. They are truly focused on the educating, um, making products to educate children, and they do a really nice job. The problem is, it's just it's a very competitive business. Someone walks into a Toys R Us in the holiday season and they see kind of their the, the Leapfrog tablet, and I think they most of the time they just keep walking because there's so many other alternatives, whether it's just traditional games or other tablets or other gaming systems, other educational toys. And you know the company keeps keeps it reinventing, you know, new, innovating, new games, new games, 
and they don't sell, and they have an inventory problem, and the inventory problem lasts longer than anticipated. They can't get the stuff out of the stores. Write downs occur. They just can't seem to get it going. Maybe on the cheap, someone will acquire them once this thing gets sub one hundred million dollars um, in market cap. Um, you, you mean later today? <laughs> yes, later. But uh, but but maybe not. I mean, it's not like the business is not replicable, replicatable, or replicable. Either one. Um, so perhaps spending a um, hundred million dollars wouldn't even be necessary. Do they have brands that are aimed at older children? Because I think of this as a brand that, is, and maybe they have products that are aimed at older children. But I just when I hear Leapfrog, I think preschool and maybe K through second grade, that sort of thing. And and so therefore, for someone like me, not that my kids are out of the house yet, but I I don't even consider them just based on my association of leapfrog being aimed at a niche audience. I think I think you're right. It's mostly the younger uh, audience. Um, they have a new new product called Leap TV, um, which maybe is, uh, can can go a bit higher than the, the audience that you're talking about. But even that has been delayed now. Um, shipments are going to be later than expected, and they're really, I think, hanging their hat on the success of this product. And I, I I'm I'm dubious. <laughs> so as I mentioned last weekend uh, about 20 of us went out to Seattle we had our Motley Fool One member event and there were just a couple of things i wanted to mention first thank you to um uh, Chet Felizic who works at Valve mm-hmm. which is a video gaming software company uh, he gave us a tour myself and and a few others gave us a a tour of their operations and we got to demo some virtual reality <laughs> software that they've developed, and and I have to say, it was mind blowing. It was awesome. absolutely mind blowing, and absolutely something that has implications way beyond the video gaming industry. Was it? Did you look at a game, or did you look at something else? I went through seven different simulations. Some of them were passive. Mm-hmm. And you're just sort of observing things. Some of them were active, where you have a controller in each hand, and you're you're either playing a game or you're attempting to you know complete some task. But it's absolutely something that it, it, we got stuck in traffic on the, traffic in Seattle, kind of bad. <laughs> I was a little surprised by that. But um, uh, on the way back, we were stuck in traffic, so we had plenty of time to talk about what are the implications for this and and. It, uh, so Every, everything we talked about went beyond video gaming. Sure. Although there's a, a huge market opportunity there, but education, medicine, any kind of class. Tim Hanson and I were talking about. You know, neither of us really knows anything about cars. So if right. you if you had if you're able to take a 10 minute class where you're actually manipulating. Through virtual reality, That'd be awesome. Yeah, yeah. I, I took apart my son's electric scooter this week to try to change the battery. I could have used that. <laughs> the, the YouTube did help, but a virtual reality well, would, have been, would have been better. That's the thing. YouTube is very helpful for instructional videos, and this is something that goes obviously Ste- a, a, many steps, many further. steps beyond yeah. that. Um, got a chance to meet with some of our members, uh, Robin Rifkin, Rob Quello, uh, who are members of Stock Advisor and Rule Breakers. And uh, got to meet Robin's son Noah, who's a sophomore in high school, and chat with him a little bit. And I, I was thinking of you because he's got a handful of stocks, mm-hmm. but it was just interesting. And I don't know that he necessarily is was realizing he was talking this way, but he was talking in terms of 
portfolio management. Nice. He really was. And obviously, he's got many decades of investing ahead of him, sure. and he will learn more as time goes on. But I just, I w- was just struck by how smart he is already. That's so great. And just thinking, just just that, just already thinking in terms of, oh, it's a portfolio, and looking at it in, as opposed to the individual stocks right. themselves. 20 years from now, he'll still be young, and I bet he will be so ahead of the game. Yeah, that's why I hate him. That's why, <laughs> that's why I just had a visceral hatred of this kid. <laughs> nice. Um, uh, thanks to a few more members. Jason Free, uh, Matt Pavick, uh, Richard and Joan Morgan, who are were at the one event and are regular listeners of, of Market Foolery, and it's, it's always... It's always great to just uh, chat with people, yes. listen, and sort of hear how they listen and where and all that. Um, but a couple of the highlights from the event itself: Amy Batinsky is the chief marketing officer at Zillow. Mm-hmm. Tom Gardner interviewed her, and uh, holy cow, was she impressive! Really? Yeah. And it's and the thing that really stuck with me from listening to her talk was just how focused. She is, and she talked about Spencer Raskoff, who's the CEO. And it just seems like I, my main takeaway from Tom's interview with her was they really seem to be focused on all the right things, even allowing for the fact that she's the chief marketing officer, right. and so she is a skilled communicator. <laughs> yes, even allowing for that, they really seem focused on all the right things. Yeah, we've discussed it before. My wife's a realtor, so we we talk about it at home quite a bit. My wife is yet to use it as a tool for the realtor, um, but we know many people that do, and and I do think it's valuable. I have always had a problem from a valuation perspective. Um, they've got a lot of growth that they need to do to, to kind of grow into to those numbers, but they seem to be um, really uh, Redefining the industry in, in a relatively big way. And by the way, we got a decision on this. It's Trulia. It's not Trulia. So if, right, a, a couple of weeks, where you put the accent, the right, syllable. A, a couple of weeks ago, I think on the radio show, we were trying to figure out. Wait a minute, is it is it like data and data? You can pronounce it either way. Well, you can, but you'll be wrong. You guys always make fun of how I say Intel or Intel. That's the problem I always have too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and of course, the <laughs> highlight of the event was your man, Jim Senegal, longtime. What a guy. Co founder of Costco, CEO for, gosh, three decades plus or so. He's 79 years old. He's yeah. got more energy than I do. It's just, it's just incredible. And he loves and the business so much. He loves it so much. And the thing about Jim Senegal is when you hear him talk, everything seems so clear. When he talks about the retail business, and just business in general. This is the way you treat your suppliers. This is the way you treat your customers. And I just, it's so great. It's and, amazing. And he's to so me. genuine, and he's, he's he's no nonsense, right? He's not like this fluffy, right. touchy feely kind of guy. He's a no nonsense merchant, but he believes in you know, treat your customers right, treat your employees right, pay them a fair wage, give everyone a good value. And as Craig Jelinek, the current CEO, says, you know, this isn't rocket science. When you when you put it down to those real simple things. You'll you'll run a great business if you care about all those things. It's funny though because afterwards, Morgan Housel and I were talking with a group of people, and Morgan shared the story. I think you know the story as well. That at one point, Costco was dealing with a tire manufacturer and negotiating on the terms of the deal, that sort of thing, and the tire manufacturer kept basically giving over better and better terms to Costco. They finally signed the deal. A week or two later, someone from Costco calls 
the head of the tire manufacturing business back and says, "Listen, we, we want to renegotiate the deal." And the guy's like, "I can't, I can't renegotiate. I can't give up any more than I'm already giving up. I'm sorry, we've signed the deal." And the guy from Costco said, "No, you don't understand. We've reevaluated this deal, and we're not certain you're going to be able to stay in business." And we want you to stay in business, right, so right. we'd like to neg- we'd like to renegotiate this deal you don't to, see give, that very often. to give you better terms. So Morgan shared that story, which is a great story, yeah. and it's true. And I said, yeah, but let's be clear, this is also the same company that you know Cynical has talked about how once upon a time he called up his friend Howard Schultz, yeah. and basically said, Howard, uh, we're we're going to have to cut a new deal, or I'm going to have to find a new coffee supplier. Yeah, it is a business. Like, right. You know, you can only be to, to, totally a nice guy, you know. But you have you have to generate a profit, and this business is a very thin profits. We're talking maybe two percent profit margins, three percent in a, in a really great year. Um, so that you're you're really thin here, and you've got to manage the business and your costs really carefully. And if you're paying people well, and you're not marking products up, you know more than let's say ten percent or whatever the number is, where they they keep it really tight, you just got to be careful to run the business correctly. And they do year after year after year. Well, and as we were talking about with CVS Health and their decision to give up tobacco products, anyone who had any concerns about Craig Jelinek as CEO, it's pretty phenomenal. They haven't missed a beat. It's really seamless. Um, I'm sure it's because Senegal is partly still there. You know, he's he's still a director. The bo- he's, he's an advisor. He's still on the board. Um, but you know, Jelinek said that you know years before the transition was going to occur, they they sat down and they started to talk about it. And you know, uh, he was the president, um, so it certainly wasn't like a guy that came in from the outside. He's been at the company since the '80s, almost since the beginning, if, if memory serves. Um, and he was you know executive vice president, COO. He was regional merchandise manager for different regions around the country. So Craig Jelinek was intimately involved in the business and. The culture, perhaps most important, the culture that Senegal had set up was ingrained, and and Jelinek, you know, believed it as well, and it's it's just been seamless. Thanks for being here. My pleasure. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.